All right, we get to do two scripture readings today. First one is going to sound familiar because we just read it. It is Psalms 34, 17 through 19. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who's crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. And the second one is we're going to Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30. And it's going to be really familiar because it's important. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, good morning, both those here and on Facebook. Seems like this is becoming a, a little tradition of my own. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like every New Year's Eve I'm standing here talking, and that's great because it's great to be with family. It's great to have this moment like where you're kind of hovering in time, the not yet, right? The now and the not yet. We're looking back at last year. We're looking forward to New Year. But I don't know if you hear the same things that I hear, but um, more often than not, my friends are saying, boy, I cannot wait for 2023 to be gone because this year was so hard, this year was so bad, and next year has to be better. But I've been hearing that for like the last three or four or five years, right? And I'm thinking, man, it seems like every year is just getting worse. And the challenge with and what, so what I'm hearing is not just that we're closing the door on last year, but they are closing the door, they are boarding it up, and they are walking away because they are done. And, and the challenge with that is that we forget that, but, but we're on the other side of the door. But, but we made it through that really difficult thing or things or year of difficulty, year of challenge. And if we close the door on all of that, we don't have any momentum to take with us into the future. And, um, you know, I, I was thinking about this. Um, I actually heard a song. So I will have to just preface everything by saying God speaks to me through music all the time. And I'll tell you a story about that later, a very specific example of what I'm talking about. So I was listening to this song, and it intrigued me. And I went, well, what, what, why did that song get written? And so I went to the story behind the song. And I went, oh, I relate to that. I relate to that. And not only do I relate to that personally, but in my work in disaster response and alongside first responders, I see that day in and day out. And, and usually what happened, I, I served as an EMT for a little bit. And, at, and as an EMT, you come in in a physical crisis moment. Usually somebody's that they're feeling their worst. And you do the quick assessment and get them to the next place where they can get treated and helped, right? Um, as a chaplain, I come in to those same moments in many cases, but for a spiritual emotional triage. Because what you are, uh, you're coming in at the worst moment emotionally. House fire, the death of a loved one, a bad health, uh, you know, medical diagnosis, um, loss of a job. You're coming in at those moments, and you want to quickly triage because what you don't want someone to do is take and make a permanent 
solution to a temporary problem. And that happens more and more and more today as the world seems to get darker and darker. So I think about those moments and, I, and the song and everything just kind of gelled and I began to think, this is really complicated and this is really important. And I started writing my thoughts down. If I were to pull out the thread of hope in this, where would I find it? And of course I'm gonna find it in God's word, right? And so then the call came, hey, we've got this opening, do you have a message? And I'm like, oh, I guess I do. And so that's how we get here today. That's how we are in this moment. And I need prayer. So we're going to stop for just a second, if you would join me in that. Father, I thank you so much for your promises, which are true. I thank you for your character, which is consistent. And one of your most amazing attributes that speaks into my life is that you are a God that does not lie. And that is so important to me personally because so many times in my life I've been betrayed and hurt by people who should have been protecting and looking out for me. And it makes me not trust easily, but you, Lord, I can always rely on. And it's in those moments when we struggle the most that your presence is the most amazing gift. So I thank you for that. I thank you for being with us this morning. As we continue our worship, Lord, we want to open up your word. We want to hear from your Holy Spirit. Speak into those dark places, those painful places, Lord, and bring the healing that only you can bring us. And we ask this in your name, for your glory. Amen. So now I'm tearing up, so let me just take a second. What I find in disasters is that it's no respecter of persons. And what I mean by that is it doesn't matter how rich you are, how poor you are, where you were born, what gender you are, what ethnicity you claim, what, you know, whatever you identify with, tragedy comes. So like the first point, if we were doing an outline, suffering is universal. Doesn't matter. You can, do, you can make all the wrong choices and experience the consequences. You can make all the right choices. And guess what? Bad things still happen. Cars still cross the line. People still, um, you know, get sick. Things happen. And, and God, you know, sometimes there's healing on one side and not healing on the other. And you can really get wrapped up in that and, and torqued really tightly. Like, why is this happening here but not happening here? And so I don't have any answers for you. As a chaplain, we don't come in and give answers. But we listen. And we kind of pull the thread and we try to untangle the knots. And so in a disaster, you can't normalize the disaster. Suffering is not normal. It's not the expectation. But how we feel in those moments is entirely normal. When you lose everything, it's okay to feel like you've lost everything because it's true. And then it's, tr it's good to remember what you still have. But when you're in that moment and you're bleeding and you're <laughs> on the side of the road or your house is burning down, those answers don't feel good no matter how true they are. And so listening is a good thing. And so no one's exempt from it, and yet we continue to be surprised by it. And so I wanted to bring a few scriptures to mind. Um, so in the Sermon on Mount, uh, Jesus is preaching and, and speaking to the crowd, and he says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son, and this is S-U-N, son, um, to rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. 
He set the world into motion, and it it spins. There are laws, you know. Uh, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pale all my physics things. I'm thinking a, a body in motion stays in motion, right? A body at rest stays at rest. So part of slamming that door in last year, we've stopped, and now it's harder to get moving. So by looking back and remembering not only the good times, but the painful times, and where God has been in those moments, it gives us the momentum to keep moving. And so knowing that, that trials will come, it becomes how do we respond to them? So James 1-2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That's whenever, meaning when, because they're coming. John 15, 20, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. So again, there's degrees, right, of suffering that we might experience. Some of it may be because of our own choices. Some of it may be because of the choices of others. And some of it may be because we're just following God and speaking truth. But there's also a promise. Psalm 119, 50, my comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. So that takes me right to the second point. God's presence is promised to us as believers. But what does that mean? (laughs) Well, it means a lot, right? So we have Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. And that promise is repeated in Hebrews 13.5. He will never leave you or forsake you. That is important. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age, Matthew 28. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Those are promises that we have. And why can we trust them? God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Numbers 20, 23. And of course, the expectation is, of course not. Of course he promises and fulfills. Of course he speaks and then acts. And we have all these moments in history. 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13. Here is a trustworthy saying. This is Paul. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Think about that. When we're believers, he, he, he's, we invite him into our life, right? We are in the image of God, and he gives, he imputes his righteousness to us, right? It's not anything that we've done. We don't earn it. We don't, but he gives it to us. And so even if we're faithless, he can't disown himself, which is in us, and he's faithful. Kind of a weird, could go into a lot of theology, but really, ultimately, the point is God is faithful no matter what. And because we know he doesn't lie, and because he says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, we have that hope as believers. Again, I'm not giving you a prescription because I don't have, I, I, call, I was thinking about this saying, it's the art of remembering, because it's an art, not a science. What brings me peace may not bring you peace, but God has so many promises in his scripture, 
something has to resonate with you, right? But how do we know that? Because when we're in the middle of the trial, when we're in the middle of the suffering, it's hard. It's hard to remember because the pain is so prevalent. It's so imminent. It's so in the right now. And so one of the things that God tells us to do is remember. Remember. And over and over in the Old Testament, throughout the journey of, of the Israelites, as he called them by his name, and he, and he walked them through the desert, and he, they went through the whole king saga, and the judges, and the king saga, and just the chaos, consistently God was there, and he says, remember. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Remember these promises. Remember where you've come from. Remember the Red Sea. Remember when you crossed the Jordan. Remember when Goliath went down. Remember when Daniel was rescued from the lion's den. Remember there were four in the fire. Remember when I've acted. And that same God is acting today, right? So, so I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So this is a little side thing. I've always been intrigued by that. I'm like, huh, rocks can cry out. Well, how many rocks are there in, in Scripture? Well, there's some famous rocks. Can you think of a few? I mentioned a couple already, with, you know, inferred a few, right? So there's the stone that David had when he flung it in the sling. Goliath goes down. What kinds of things could that rock speak about God's goodness, about his faithfulness, about the way he preserves our life? Um, speaking of the Jordan, actually, God said, stop where you are, see where the ark is, go and grab a stone, 12, to represent each of the tribes, and, and create an altar and build it. And when you walk by and your children see it, and they say, what's that? You tell them about the day that God stopped the waters and you crossed over safely. When Jacob is running for his life <laughs> after um, the blessing debacle with his family, he's, um, he stays at a place called La Paz, I believe, which is peace, ironically, and he uses a rock for a, for a pillow. And while he's sleeping, he has this dream, this vision about the heavens opening up and a man, one like the Son of God standing at the top and giving him the covenant, the very first covenant between God and Jacob. And he wakes up and he says, surely God was in this place. And he builds an altar and he calls it Bethel, which is God is here. And so what could that rock say? What would that stone have to say? When Daniel was in the lion's den, King Darius put a stone across the top of the lion's den while he was in there overnight. And he runs the next morning, and he moves the stone. Daniel, Daniel, are you there? And he goes, yeah, I'm here, I'm good. What could that stone say? The woman caught in adultery, when they all come, Lord, what should we do with this woman? And he just starts writing in the sand. And you imagine, it doesn't say, but you imagine that one by one, the stones they held in their hand dropped to the ground as they turned and walked away and left her there with him, with Jesus. He said, woman, who condemns you? Well, they're gone. Well, then go. And don't do that again. <laughs> right? So what could those rocks say? 
What about when Stephen was stoned? What might those rocks have to say? Moses had an experience with rock, a high and a low. The rock that he spoke to and the rock that he struck. (laughs) And there were consequences to those behaviors. But what could those stones testify to? And then, of course, there's the stone that was rolled away. What amazing, wonderful things could that stone say? You know, we have stones in in our own history. There are rocks right out there on the corner. How many children, I even, I'm not a child, but I walked on those rocks and sat on those rocks and reflected on those rocks. We've had fun fairs and festivals and, and, and barbecues and all sorts of things, and we've played in that area. What kind of, we've had missionaries come through. We've had missionaries go out. What kind of stories could they tell about God's faithfulness to us? What about the proverbial rocks in your own life? This is that reflecting part. Moments in time when God has intersected into our time and space and spoken or done or moved things that don't make any sense. Where the tumor that was there is gone. Where, you know, the the car that was uh, in ill repair is suddenly you have a gift and you can repair it. Where groceries show up on your porch. What are those moments where God says, I'm here. I see you. I'm with you. So personal story. God speaking to me through music. This has been a tumultuous year for me at work. We've gone through, um, we've had a leadership change. It's always a difficult change is always hard um, because it's the unknown and we fear the unknown and that's natural. We should, we do that. Um, But we've had a a president of 28 years, 27 years, retired. And so we have a brand new leader came in from outside, and so there's lots of different management styles, different communication styles. Uh, We've lost people. We've got new people in. It's just been a lot of change. And um, it's it's interesting to me because, oh, I might get myself in trouble, but that's okay. It's interesting to me that one of our tenants is integrity, right, the the new vision that we have for our organization. And yet, um, one of the themes that comes down from one of the new executive management is, but that's good enough. And so, I live at war with that because good enough is not good enough. It can be better than it needs to be better because we walk with integrity and we do the right thing, no matter who's looking. And so, um, I had a particularly rough day where I was really trying to get to a piece of information to do a report, and it was really important to me that I got, didn't just make up a number, just come up with a number, even though I could do that with an educated guess, I wanted to get the right number. Because for me, when I'm submitting reports, especially to the federal government, and if they come back to me, whether that's six months, six days, six hours, or six years, I need to be able to reproduce the number and I wasn't able to come up with the method. And I'm like, I need to know what this number is. And uh, I went into this executive and I, and I tried explaining you know, my reasoning, this is really important. And he's like, look, it's good enough. Rebecca, your, 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 your good is better than most people's best. Just, just go with it. 
And I was so frustrated. And I walked back to my desk and I said, you know what, if good enough is good enough, then I'm done. I'm done. And I sat at my desk and I looked around and I saw people, you know, ordering things online and I saw people, you know, and I just like, I'm just, I'm done. I'm just done today. And I was driving home and I was reflecting on that and it was really odd to me. It was hard for me to be, do less than my best. But I just didn't put a lot of effort. It was like, okay, I'm going to set that aside because I can't do the number and I have a couple days before that's due and I'm just going to... I'm going to read some of these articles that I've piled up, and I'm going to just, and these are, these are good things, but they're just not the best things because I have other things that are more pressing, but I just, I can't make any more decisions. I can't do it. But I'm driving home. There's a point, I promise. So I'm driving home, and um, I've got the radio on. Uh, well, I've got the satellite radio on because where I live, things come in and out, and it's all static, and I hate it. So I'm listening to the message, right, which is Christian music. And um, the song comes on. It's one of my favorite people, Stephen Curtis Chapman. The song is called Do Everything. Yeah, Sarah, you know it. You know where this is going, right? So just a little bit of the lyrics. While I may not know you, I bet I know you wonder sometimes, does it matter at all? Well, let me remind you, it matters just as long as you do everything you do to the glory of the one who made you. Because he made you to do every little thing that you do to bring a smile to his face. Tell the story of grace with every move that you make and every little thing that you do. Ouch. It's not like I didn't know that. In fact, I'd already been having a dialogue with God before that song came on, saying, you know what? That was really wrong what I did today. I, really, I can't do that again. I have to just do my best no matter what. And it just really frustrates me that people can get, you know, and I just went on this rant because God and I have that relationship, and I appreciate that because I live alone, so I need that dialogue. And so I'm going, and I said, but you know what? And I don't, no, I don't regret it. I don't regret it at all. And then that song came on, and I went, okay, okay, okay. You know, I don't regret what I did because I needed to have that release, but I am I do regret that I disappointed you today. I'm really sorry I did that. And I, I'd love to be able to promise God that it will never happen again. But you know what? I work there every day, and you know those people. I will probably do it again. But I hear you, and I'm sorry. And just about the time that song's over, and the voices in my head, you know, the ones you don't like, start saying, see? The very next song, Lauren Daigle, You Say. Is that not God? So wonderful to me. So just a little bit of the lyrics. You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I think I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. And when I don't belong, you say I am yours, and I believe. Verse 3, you have every failure, God. You have every victory. That's the way God speaks to me through music. I mean, he's talking. <laughs> and I'm glad that I was able to hear that and that I was able to listen. And I don't have an easy answer because you know what? 
my life is going to be just like that again, and I hope that I make a better choice the next time I'm confronted with that situation. But I know that God knows my heart, and he knows it's not my goal to disappoint him. And as scripture tells me, he gives me a way out in every temptation, so I have the opportunity to choose because his Holy Spirit is living in me. I have the power to say no to ungodliness. I just don't know if I will, but I hope that I do. And I know that no matter what that choice is that I make, God's grace is sufficient for me. And it's sufficient for you. And so we have these tools. He gives us remember who I am. Remember my promises, which are true. And I don't lie. I won't lie to you. You can trust me. And boy, is that powerful for me. That's super powerful. More so than God is love, and he is, and I appreciate that. More so than God is compassionate. More so than God will ultimately bring retribution to those who deserve it, or whatever, however you define that. That's, that helps us others more, but this, this helps me. God doesn't lie, and I can trust him. So why do we have these tools? Why is it important that we do these things? Because guess what? These are promises that we have as believers, but those who have not yet chosen to follow God don't have that same hope. They can't go back to that same well. And so we are to share God's presence with others. Third point. So some verses about that. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. If we're not right with him, if we haven't said, oh, I'm sorry I disappointed you and I want to not do it again, help me not do it again, get right, then we can't share that with others. We can, and so let's go back to James, right? We can consider it joy when we face trials of all kinds. Why? Because it produces perseverance, which leads to maturity and completion so that we not lack anything. We're not lacking anything, right? Romans 5, 3 through 5, we glory in our sufferings because why? Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Again, these are, these are still promises that we have, and these are the things that we can share with those who don't have God's presence in their life when they are struggling. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. We share God's presence with others. Easier said than done, because again, when someone's in the middle of crisis, no matter how much truth you share, it doesn't take the pain away of that moment. It doesn't change the circumstances that they're in. That loved one is still gone. That house is still burned down. The car is still a wreck. They still have cancer. Those things don't go away. So I was 
reading, there's um, Frederick Beekner. I don't know if any of you are familiar with his writings. He has a series of essays. Um, apparently, he's fairly prolific uh, and much uh, in, in circles equated with C.S. Lewis in his writings and the type of writings that he does. And he has a, a book called Crazy Holy Grace. <laughs> and the chap one of the chapters in Crazy Holy Grace, it, he talks about being a good steward of our pain. Talk about that intrigued me, and it intrigued him. He was sharing his testimony at some camp thing in Texas, and this was like 19, I don't know, a long time ago, before I was existed, so before many of you. Um, and uh, he was sharing his testimony, and someone came up to him and said, thank you for sharing. You've been a good steward of your pain. And so he went off on this tangent, and so he wrote about it because... That's what apparently people do when they're <laughs> struggling with something. And he, he offers a different perspective on the parable of the talents. So in Matthew 25, there's that story, right, that Jesus tells about the master who's going away. And he leaves behind with his servants. He leaves one five talents, one four talents, and one gets one talent. And he says, hey, you know, take care of this. When I, I'm going away, but when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to expect a return. And so, you know, the uh, servant with five goes out, does some investment, and comes back, but he gets five more. Servant with four goes out and invests it and comes and gets four more. The servant who gets one panics. It's like, man, I know this guy. He's really, he's hard. He's, oh, I'm just, I don't want to lose it. I'm afraid I'm going to bury it. So when the servant, so the master comes back, he's thrilled with the two who have doubled what he's given them. But the one who buried it, he's furious with, right? And he, says some horrible things, and even takes the talent away and gives it to the one who has many. So we often hear about, we've heard many sermons on that, but I've never heard anyone talk about it as if the, the talent that we get is, okay, so what he's saying, he's not saying the talent is pain. What he's saying is that the talent is what life gives you, right? You know, that whole the deck of cards thing, you know, life, you get dealt whatever you get dealt. You don't choose who you're, what family you're born in, you're just born into it and deal with it. So he's talking about those things, the things that happen to us and how we respond to those things matters. And he, equate, he starts with the guy with the one talent and he says, what, this is a common thing. When we have pain, what is our first inclination? We want to bury it. I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to forget it. I'm going to pretend it didn't happen. I just, I'm going to, it, I'm going to, I'm going to walk away from it. And when we do that, um, out of fear, we close ourselves off from people. I don't want to be hurt again. I'm never having another relationship. I'm never trusting another person. I'm never doing whatever the thing is that you did that put you, caused the pain in the first place. And he's saying that he, he proposes that the consequence that the servant receives, which is being thrown out with weeping and gnashing of teeth, is not a punishment so much as the natural outcome that comes from hiding away from life. And so you're not actually living life anymore, you're just going through the motions, you're existing. You're not able to grow and become the person God intended you to be. So it's a different take, it's something I hadn't really thought about, and so, I really started reflecting on that. And, and what are some other ways, other things that we do, right? 
Um, we hide it. Sometimes people use their pain to gain sympathy. And they become the victim. And no matter how many years have come between the time of the, the incident that caused the pain and the day that they're in, they're always that person who was hurt. It's an excuse for not. Um, some people are trapped by it. They really don't know how to move forward. Maybe it becomes, they become bitter and hardened. Maybe they become depressed. And, and I'm not saying there's anything right or wrong about those things, just saying that there could be more. And that as believers, we have more. We have God who says, I'm with you in those moments. Some people compete with it. Have you ever had conversations where you're telling, oh, I had this really bad day. Oh, you think you had a bad day? Let me tell you about my day. And so there are lots of ways that we barter and trade with our pain, right? And boy, this is really complicated because we love trading our joy. Congratulations, Madeline Noel. It's beautiful. We have a new baby in our family, a new granddaughter for our pastor and his wife. We want to trade on that joy. Nobody wants to say, hey, I had a, ran a stop sign and got rear-ended. You know, nobody wants to share that. We come in and we try to hide that. Oh, everything's fine. It's not fine. But we trade on the joy, but we don't trade on the pain. And so... Um, the consequence is, again, we're on automatic pilot, and our life isn't the life that we've been called to live. Jesus says, I give you the abundant life. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. We're not free if we're bound up in our past and we can't get out of it, we can't see a way through it. And there are resources. We never talk about the mental health crisis in our country, but we have one. And we have answers. And again, we have to be judicious in when we share those answers. When someone is in the middle of the hurt, no matter how much truth you have, it stings. And we all do it. How, I mean, we all do it. I, I'm, I'm trained in critical incident stress management, and I know better, and I still like want to solve it. I want to fix it for people. You say those things like, it'll be better. He's in a better place. You know, all those things. And you know what? Maybe they're true, but I don't care about that right now because I, he's not here with me, and I want him here with me, right? And so we inflict more pain, <laughs> and we're not trying to. So what do we do? What do we do? And it's important to say that God doesn't cause these, these painful things to happen. He doesn't. It's not like he's up there as a great chess master moving us around going, huh, you've had a good, you've had a good few months. Let's, let's put you over in the fire. He doesn't do that. But he does look to us to harvest from those experiences, treasure from it. And he promises in his presence his strength, his love, his grace, his mercy to help us through it. So, there's a quote, a famous quote, by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. The most beautiful, beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. 
They are made, they are forged through the trials that they face. There's a song by, um, I, can, I could quote song lyrics to you all day. There's a song by um, We Are Messengers, I think it's We Are Messengers, who says, uh, I wouldn't understand what it means to be, if I didn't understand what it means to be dirty, I wouldn't appreciate being clean. If I didn't understand what it was to be broken, I wouldn't understand the value of, your, of being whole of the wholeness that God brings. And it's a whole, the whole song is about those things. If I, didn't, if I didn't have this, I wouldn't appreciate this. So how, do, how are we good stewards of our pain? What do we do with that? How do we do it? Well, we have to trade on it, but what does that mean? It doesn't mean speaking about it necessarily, but it means speaking out of it. You know, those lessons that we've learned. Hey, you know, I, I don't know how you're feeling right now. Because your response is going to be different from my response. And working with first responders, that is 100% true. Often the triggering event that, that I'm brought in to talk with them about is not really the problem. It's the cumulative effect of all the failed calls of all the people they couldn't save, of all the times that they were just a little too late arriving on scene. It's cumulative. And we can have that same challenge, right? It's like, oh, here we go again. As a caregiver, boy, my life, wash, rinse, repeat. It can get mind-numbing. When am I going to get off this merry-go-round? Um, and so that cumulative effect takes hold. So speaking out of that, hey, I've, I've been in a similar spot. I don't know what will work for you, but this worked for me. When they're ready to hear it, when they're coming to you for help, when they're asking you for answers, hey, I don't know what the answer is for you, but let me tell you about this time. Good stewards of our pain. So ways that we can do that. Remember where we came from. Not only what we've been through, but God how God was there in the middle of our pain. It's what allows us to kind of reach back into those dark places and pull out the comfort that we've experienced and share that with others. Our pain can become a treasure when it turns itself into compassion and healing, not only to us, but to those who are hurting. There's a reason that 12-step groups are so effective. Because people with a similar background come together and share their stories without judgment and say, oh, I can relate to that. I can relate to that. Welcome, John. Welcome, Susan. Welcome, Mary. Um, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for sharing that part of yourself with us. The cross of Christ shows us that out of the greatest pain endured in love and faithfulness comes the greatest beauty and our greatest hope. And that's what we can share with others. So now the song story. So the song that I heard that prompted this whole chaos of my mind, which I hope I've been able to articulate well, is um, Not Right Now, Not Right Now by Jason Gray. 
And uh, he has a video out that so you can actually hear him tell the story in his own words, because it's way better when you hear a personal story in someone's own voice. Um, but he's, uh, he's, he's written a song, and uh, he says, you know, he, it was at a specific part. He wrote it about a specific trial that he was going through, a hardship that he was facing. And he tells the story that he was on tour with uh, one of his good friends, Andy Gillihorn. I have no idea who that person is. Uh, but it's very, a very important person to Jason Gray. And he's talking with Andy. And, and he says, you know, um, pain is a way of revealing your own failure and your own sin. And uh, he was feeling kind of raw. And uh, he opened up and shared all of the things he was feeling with his friend Andy. He said, and then... I kind of braced myself. I thought, okay, here it comes. He's going to throw a scripture at me, or he's going to something, and, and he was ready for it. But that's not what happened. And he calls this one of the most healing moments of his life. He says, he did one of the most beautiful things I've ever experienced in my life. He stood up and he said, all right, here's what I want you to do, Jason. I want you to stand up, and I'm going to time it, and I'm going to hug you, and I'm going to hold you, and you have to let me for two minutes. And he took his watch off, and he's going to time it. And, uh, and Jason goes on to say, if you knew Andy, which I don't, he's a man's man, all right? So you know he's not a huggy kind of guy. So I'm imagining like this big tank of a man, you know, think of a linebacker for the Detroit Lions. We had a really horrible game last night, by the way. Anyway, um, He's, he's, he's feeling kind of awkward, and, and he laughs, and he's like, okay, all right. And his friend Andy says, um, I'm not letting you go. I'm timing you for two minutes. And, uh, and he's laughing, and then, um, so he steps into the guy's embrace. And it's awkward, you know. Guys, don't do the huggy thing. And he's kind of laughing, and he's like, nope, you got to let me. I'm not letting go. And he starts laughing, and then he stops laughing, and he starts crying. And then in some interviews, he says, and then it was ugly crying. You know, the, the kind with the, the, the snot and the, the, the tears, and the, it just, it's all red and ugly, and you no know, one wants to see that. Um, and, I, and, then, and then I kind of crumple in his arms. And I wept as one of my best friends just held me, and he didn't offer me answers or correction or his wisdom. He just offered his presence and his kindness. And it, uh, it was one of the most healing experiences I've ever had. So he wrote that song for people who were in the middle of the pain, who uh, who just need that. And then he also says he wrote that song as a reminder for that the next time we're around people who are hurting that sometimes it's... It's best just to be present and kind and, and maybe just be quiet. And that was a powerful story for me. And it's not just Jason Gray. Beekner himself tells uh, two, two stories in this chapter that he writes about. And uh, he was having a specific uh, difficulty, uh, a tough time, and he's in Vermont. And uh, he got a phone call from one of his really good friends, Tom. Tom lives in North Carolina. He goes, Tom, what's going on? He goes, he goes what's, how, how are things in, in North Carolina? And Tom says, well, uh, actually, uh, I'm, I, I'm in, and he names a town that's 15 minutes from where he is in Vermont. He goes, what, what are you doing here? 
and Tom says, well, I, I knew you were going through a rough time, and I thought, you know, I thought it might be nice to have uh, somebody, an extra friend, around. 800 miles. And Victor says, you know, and I knew that if he had called me, and, how did this guy come 800 miles? He didn't know if I was going to be here. But I knew that if he had called me, I would have told him no. No, I'm good. I'm good. You, you, don't, you don't have to do this. But the guy just showed up. And they hung out for a couple of days, and they took some walks, and they smoked their pipes together. And he says, we didn't talk about anything theological. We didn't talk about really much at all. He just spent time with me. Later, he tells another story. His, his daughter was uh, in a hospital in Seattle. She had a, an eating disorder. And just the challenges of watching her waste away day after day. He was there with his wife, and he talks about um, a visit by two men. They happened to be ministers, and they just showed up. And they'd heard through the grapevine, you know, that well, his, this, their circumstances. And they said, hey, we know that you're, you're from out of town. You're here with your daughter, and we'd like to take you to dinner. And they were both ministers, so there's lots of theological conversations that could have been had, but they didn't. They just took them out of the hospital and said, let us take you to dinner. They just spent time with them. Let's tell you about some things around Seattle, the, the area that so you can orient yourself and familiarize yourself with these things while you're here. No platitudes, no it's going to be okay, no, promise, no promises, just they spent time with them. So how do we do that? Well, how do we trade on our pain? Not just being present. Because by default, when we are there, we bring God with us. We become his shalom. We become his peace into that, the middle of that chaotic moment. So we come to the end. It's 1201, so we're, we're, we're doing okay. We come to the end. What, what's the bottom line? We can't avoid pain and suffering. It's universal. It happens to everybody. If it hasn't happened to you yet, praise the Lord, but it's coming. As believers, we have God's promise that we, he will walk with us through it. And so I encourage you, if you have experienced God's presence as you walk through pain, reflect, spend some time reflecting on that and the lessons that you learned and the strength that you gained from that. And if you haven't, I would say you're probably just not aware of it. And I would ask God to help you better understand where he was in those moments. So again, quick story. Um, I had that experience in college. I was having, a, it was during a, 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 what do you call it? Oh my goodness. Chapel service. Chapel service was a requirement. We had a guest speaker. And uh, anyway, it was very interesting. And, and I was really struggling because everybody was having these, um, these high mountaintop moments and I wasn't having it. And so after chapel, I went up to the speaker and I said, can you help me talk through this? Because I'm really struggling. And uh, long story short, he basically gave me a word. He, he said, try to close your eyes and picture it. What, can you put a picture, can you paint a picture of what the feeling is that you're feeling? And so I had this, you know, I don't know whether it's a, I don't, it sounds so weird when I think about it and say it, so I don't, you're going to think I'm crazy. But So in my head, I'm picturing like the throne room of God, right? God is on the throne, and he is on the throne. He's beautiful and mighty and powerful, and all of the things we sang about this morning. King of kings, Lord of lords, 
throne room of God. And people are there and they're throwing their crowns down at his feet. And I'm thinking, I said, I'm standing at the threshold of the throne room of God and I want to go in and the door is open, but I can't. There's a barrier. I can't get in. I feel like I can't, I don't have the right to go forward. And he goes, okay, can you, can you, can you broaden the picture? Can you step back a little bit further? So then I kind of stepped back, and then I started to see the frame of the door, you know? And I'm like, okay. He goes, can you see anything else? And eventually it became clear as I kept going back and back that, that the doorway was there, and I was holding on to the door frame, and I was the one causing, I was the one not going in. And he began to speak promises, some of the very promises that we've talked to today. And that we can boldly approach the throne of grace, right? And when he spoke that promise, my fingers loosened, and I just felt the presence of God. And in my head, I could see myself walking in. And so often, our own bad choices make us feel like we can't. And God says, come. God says, come. So, and we can comfort others by being his presence in the middle of the struggles by being good stewards of our own pain. So the invitation today is if you have not had that experience in your life as a Christian, look back, ask God to show you because I guarantee you he's there. And if you haven't experienced the goodness of God in your own life, I encourage you to taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And God says, come to me. Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And that rest may look different for you than it looks for you and than it looks for me, but that rest is assured. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Father, we thank you this morning for your promises, which are true. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to remember and help us to reflect and to look for those proverbial stones in our own life when your presence has manifested itself. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in us, that speaks to us, that guides us into all truth. And even in those moments when we can't come up with the words, the Spirit then groans in interceding for us. We thank you for those promises. Lord, we ask that you would give us the strength, the courage to take risks and to not bury our pain or hide those moments or even treasure them in our heart like Mary did, but that we would, you would help us to share those moments, to trade on our pain in a way that brings comfort and healing to those around us, that we can be your peace, your hands, your feet, or we can just sit quietly because sometimes that's the best gift. When we're overwhelmed and we can't even begin to make a decision to have someone come in and sit alongside us and say, let me help. I won't speak, but let me do. Let me make the meal. Let me do the thing. That's the comfort that we need sometimes, and that's the comfort that you offer us. And Lord, we thank you for 
your steadfastness, your faithfulness, and your promise that you are the same yesterday, today, for always. Amen.